prayer once again. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Um, this is the, the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And I invite you to raise your voices and join us as we celebrate Him who is worthy of all honor and praise.
You have no rival. You stand alone. The heavens worship before your throne. There is no one like you. You have no equal. Your kingdom reigns. Yours is the highest of every name. There is no one like you. Almighty, we're standing in the presence of Your Majesty. You're holy. You alone, the sovereign crown of royalty. You're the King of Kings, Almighty. Our God eternal, the Great I Am, the praise of angels will never end. There is no one like You. Eyes like fire, face like the sun, a voice like thunder. You're holy, you alone, the sovereign crown of royalty. You're the King of Kings, Almighty. I see the Holy One, high and exalted. I hide my eyes and I tremble before Him. I tremble before Him. I see the Holy One, high and exalted. I hide my eyes and I tremble before Him. I tremble.
see we're standing in the presence of your majesty you're holy you alone the sovereign crown of royalty you're the king of kings Almighty God, we are so grateful that we can come to your presence and we can bow and we can worship and we can pour out our souls, everything we are in front of your throne. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing us that privilege to be able to come as we are. For your blood has cleansed us and has made us worthy to come before of your throne. You are almighty God, and we are standing, like the song says, in the presence of the majesty of the almighty God. And we are so humbled, and we are so, so brought down to earth when we understand how small we are in front of your presence. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you for being here with us, for being that great audience of one we do everything in this place to worship you, to bring you honor and glory. Now, until the time that you call us to your presence, and then forevermore. So thank you, Lord, for calling us in, for drawing us in closer to you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely. So repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel, that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more.
Good morning, church. If you will open your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Galatians chapter 2. We will be reading from verse 1 through verse 10. And this is the word of the Lord. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless his word. Pray with me, church, this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you as always, humble, contrite, on our knees in repentance, in worship, to seek your face, Lord, to have your Holy Spirit fall upon us again and anew, to bring you worship this Sunday, to be your church, Lord, and all we ask is for your presence with us, to guide us, to open our hearts, to open our minds, I just pray, Lord, that you use uh, this humble servant who is definitely unworthy to transmit your truth to those who would be listening today. And it's always that we come before you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you for joining us online. Hopefully for some of you, this will be the last time you join us online. You may continue to join us online, but next week we are looking forward to seeing you here present with us. Um, I'm always grateful for Pastor Edwin to give me the opportunity to come share God's word with you. And so we look at today's, when we look at today's message, I'm reminded of a movie I saw a while back now. It's been out for a little while and I recommend it highly. It's called um, The American Gospel, Christ Alone. And there's a segment in there where one of the interviewees, he presents uh, one of the problems in Christianity today. And it's specifically in, in this person's interview has to do with the Catholic Church and their system uh, as a plus religion. It is faith plus works equals salvation. Grace plus merit gets you into the kingdom. It is Christ plus other mediators are our way to God. 
The early Pentecostal church was guilty of the same thing by adding speaking in tongues to a condition of salvation. We saw it also with Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, you have to observe the Sabbath. And this problem is not new because Paul was seeing it in his day and the Pharisees were the first to do it when they took the Mosaic Law and turned it and added to it and made those a condition of salvation. So in a lot of popular areas of religion today, it is not Christ alone, but Christ plus works or Christ plus whatever other conditions a cult or sect might add to it. But that was not the case for Paul. As we read today, he understood that it was by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Paul sees it. This is the message of the book of Galatians. And last time we were in Galatians, Pastor Edwin took us through chapter 1. Paul established his apostolic authority. We see that the gospel was given to him by Jesus Christ. And he acknowledges that there is only one gospel. And Pastor Edwin reminds us of who Paul had become, a trophy. A trophy that shone Christ. That when people saw Paul and his preaching, they saw Jesus for the glory of God. And now in the letter to the Galatians, Paul is addressing this issue that has arisen of others trying to add something to the gospel that he was preaching. And it is in a direct response to what had arisen in that day of a group called they, the Judaizers. Judea, Judaizers. They had come in and tried to persuade the church that circumcision was necessary for salvation. That circumcision and adherence to the law of Moses had to be followed as well as belief in Christ. And we find ourselves in verse 1 where Paul is affirming that this trip he took back to Jerusalem was 14 years later. So 14 years, give or take, let's uh, say it was from Paul's conversion. It could be argued that it was from his first missionary trip or but let's just go with it was from his last trip to Jerusalem. And he mentions that he's with Barnabas, but that he took Titus along. And that's going to matter because Titus has a role to play as Paul presents the gospel and is charged with preserving it. He'll, he'll explain that to us. But 14 years have passed, and he is on his way back to Jerusalem. Now, he lets us know in verse 2 that it's in response to a revelation and he is going to meet privately with certain leaders. This is not the Jerusalem council. That is coming later. And how we know that it's not the Jerusalem council is we know the decision of the Jerusalem council and he could have presented it right here to the church in Galatia and the argument would have been over, but he doesn't. Now, he is going in response to this revelation and he gives us the reason why and what this revelation was about. It was basically, go to Jerusalem, present the gospel to them, and in Paul's own words, 
He did not want to be running his race in vain. So it's a revelation. It is directly from Jesus or through the Holy Spirit that he receives this revelation. It is why he is an apostle. Remember again when Pastor Edwin took us through chapter 1 of Galatians, Jesus himself appears to him, but it's not only that it's an appearance of Jesus, it's that Jesus taught him the gospel, taught him all that Paul needed to know. Right? Because we didn't have scriptures back in the time in the form of the New Testament and form of the gospel. We, they only had the Old Testament. So it was not just an appearance. He was directly taught, just like the apostles were. And notice that Pastor Edwin showed us how Paul was away for three years. The same time that Jesus was with the original apostles, he spends time where we, it's alluded that he spent three years alone with Jesus learning the gospel, learning directly from Jesus. And that is why there are no apostles today, church. Do not be fooled by anybody who claims to be an apostle. And I would say you're never going to find that in this church. But with the advent of online community, YouTube messages readily available, you may be exposed to those who call themselves apostles. There is no such thing in the modern day. There is no direct revelation today like Paul had at that time when he went to Jerusalem in response to a revelation. And what was that revelation? Jesus was basically telling him, go because there's this issue in the church and we need to resolve it. And you're taking the message. So he goes and he meets with these esteemed leaders who we will find out in a couple of verses are James, Peter, and John. And he meets them in private. And this is another reason we know this is not the Jerusalem council where this was officially decided for all the, church, the churches. And we see that story in Acts 15. That would happen later. But Paul's purpose is to present the gospel. And you would ask yourself, why does he need to present the gospel? Don't they know the gospel? Weren't they saved by the gospel? He is presenting it to leaders who saw Jesus and learned from Jesus directly, just as Paul did. And this is 14 years after Right? Give or take, let's say Paul's conversion happened a few years after Jesus' uh, Jesus's death and resurrection. We're talking within 20 years. Don't they all know the gospel? But that is not the point here. He is not presenting the gospel to make sure he got it right. What Paul is doing in this meeting is he has heard and he has been confronted with, A, you're not really an apostle. That's why he had to determine his apostolic authority. And B, you're not preaching the gospel correctly because they need to be the Gentiles need to be circumcised and follow the Mosaic law like us Jews do. And Paul knew this was not correct. And what he was worried about and what he talks about is running this race in vain is that the work he had done for 14 years, the churches that he had planted, what he did not want was for this dissension, for this argument, for this addition to the gospel to be affirmed by the main church, and now it would be used to tear down the work that he had already performed and done through 14 years of ministry in preaching to the Gentiles. That is what he is talking about when he wants to assure himself that he was not running in vain, that his work was for naught. So he is presenting the gospel, 
the pure gospel, the only gospel, Christ alone gospel, to assure himself that he is not running his race in vain. Right? Paul has already established that there is only one gospel. I love Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And he is trying to make sure that nothing is added to this gospel. And in verse 3, we see why Titus was brought along. Titus is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. He is a Greek. He is a Christian. And he affirms that Titus was not circumcised. They went to this meeting. They talked about this condition of salvation. They know here's, here's a Greek standing next to us. Here is a Gentile. And we can see the fruits of conversion. We can see Christ in his life. Why do we need to add anything to it? Why does he need to be circumcised? Why do we need to physically alter him when he is already demonstrating Christ, when he is already a proof of conversion through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Titus is the example of the gospel is correct, the true gospel of Christ, and he wasn't circumcised, so they did not correct anything that I had. Now in verse 4, he goes on to explain why this even had to happen, why this conflict arose or this possible dissension. And he makes mention of these false believers. He doesn't name them as he does elsewhere as these Judaizers. And also it's curious to see here that the reason they snuck in, remember they snuck in, some versions say they were brought in, but it's just another word for sneaking in. They come in. It always reminds me of the wheat and the tares, right? The wheat and the weeds. The enemy snuck in at night and planted the weeds. Church, it was a problem in that day. It continues to be a problem. To this day, we cannot ignore it, and we must deal with it. But that is the truth of the matter. They snuck in, and what they wanted to see not only to bring in dissension, but there was this freedom that they had in Christ, that the Christians of that day had in Christ, and they wanted to see us. They wanted to see that freedom, but notice it says they wanted to make us slaves. They did not want the freedom that Jesus offers. They did not want the freedom that, that faith in Christ had to offer. They wanted to be enslaved. And why? Because... They were slaves themselves. They were slaves to the law. More importantly, they were still slaves to their own sin. And they didn't realize that they still were getting it wrong. Even though they were recognizing or they had intellectual knowledge that Jesus was the Messiah as promised, they were still enslaved to their former ways. They were still being circumcised, trying to follow works, and following the law of Moses, as they call it. And here's where the problem is that sometimes we Christians get it wrong, and the Pharisees of the time, 
definitely got it wrong, is that the law was never meant to save. The Ten Commandments, God did not give the law and say, follow these laws because that's the way you get to me. From Abraham's time, when there was no law, it was Abraham's faith that was credited to him. It, was, it has always been faith in God through the coming Messiah in the Old Testament and now the Messiah that came in our time post-New Testament. It has always been the case. But what happened? We as men always want to do it for ourselves. They took the law and said, look at what God said, we should do this, and this makes us righteous, and this makes us good, and this makes us right, so if we follow this really, really well, then God would really love us. And that's why it went that way where the law was seen as something to be followed, something that got you salvation. But Paul always throughout his letters points out that the law does not do that. The law does not uh, save, it enslaves, and it does not bring salvation. But what the law does do is that it points us to our sin. Now, originally when God set out the law, first of all, he was giving us truth. He was giving us a way to be righteous. And it was meant for us to be identified as God's people, to give him the glory to live correctly, and for others to see, hey, you guys do it differently. You guys live differently. Who's your God? That was the point of it in the Old Testament. But eventually, again, it was perverted by man, by the Pharisees, with all the additional man-made laws. That's where legalism comes in. We cannot confuse legalism that, uh, or as a form as when we tell you what's biblical. If I tell you love, don't hate, uh, don't commit adultery, don't lie, those are biblical commands that Jesus gave. That's not legalism. It's when I add things. When I add things to the Bible and say you must do these things and make that a condition of salvation, that's legalism. But the law points us to our sin. And I want to share this story uh, of a gentleman by the name of Ray Comfort. Uh, you can find him all over YouTube. And he uses this great evangelistic tool that involves the Ten Commandments. Because if you ask most people today if they are good people, they will no doubtedly, undoubtedly tell you, yes, I am a good person. And then you ask them some questions. Well, have you ever stole something? Usually you get, oh no, oh you've never taken anything that was yours, even a little office supply that you uh, snuck out of work with, or you got some extra change from the store and you didn't give it back. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all stolen something. Then you ask them, have you ever lied? Oh, no, I'm not a liar. Oh, not even a little white lie? Well, a little white lie, some. We've all lied. Then here's a good one. Have you ever committed murder? Most people will tell you, no, no, absolutely not. But then you remind them, well, Jesus said, if you're angry enough with your brother that you wish that upon them or call them certain names, you've committed murder. Uh, okay, guilty. How about adultery? A lot of us can say, nope, never committed adultery. Some of us can't. But then you are reminded that Jesus says, even if you look lustfully upon a woman, upon someone else, lustfully look at them, you have committed adultery. Everybody's guilty. How about using the name of God in vain? 
Don't even have to convince you there. We've all done it. And then Ray tells him, by your own admission, you are a lying, thieving, murderous, adulterous, and a blasphemer. But yet you told me you were good. But when we compare ourselves to the law, when we compare ourselves to Christ, we see we are not good. And that was the effect of the law. So it is impossible to be saved by works or the law. And as Paul points out in verse 5, this is how the gospel is preserved. We don't give in. He didn't give in. He was pressured. Hey, he's a, he's a Gentile. He's a Greek. He needs to be circumcised if he claims to be a Christian. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Listen to the gospel. It's Christ alone. By faith alone. By grace alone. And in verse 6, he confirms how these leaders added nothing to his message, added nothing to the gospel. They recognized because they were all on the same page, and this is what Paul was trying to do. Let's stay on the same page of the one true gospel. This is how the gospel is preserved. When pressure comes in from the outside, when people want to put conditions on salvation or the message of the gospel itself, we are not to give in. We are not to let them in with that new message. They added nothing to the message. Now, notice he makes a little comment here that kind of seems to be, uh, at first read, a jab at, remember he's talking about James, Peter, and John. These are the people that he met with. But really what he is saying is these three are held in high esteem. They are, he calls them, pillars of the church. But in relation to the gospel, at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. So he wasn't, he, what he was trying to say is, they're no better than me, and they're no better than you. And look what he says, God does not show favoritism. And we know this, right? God looks on the inside, not on the outside. But he is also recognizing their authority as leaders and pillars of the church. He went to them. He didn't go to anybody else. He didn't go to the full council. So he's not making a disparaging remark, uh, just like, eh, it doesn't matter who they are. No, it, it didn't matter who they were. But what he was trying to show his uh, Galatian brothers is, these are men that I took the gospel message to, to confirm it, to make sure we're all on the same page for your benefit. But remember, they are men just like you and me. And then he adds in verse 7 that not only did they not add anything to the gospel, but they recognized who he was and what his task was. They basically affirmed that, yes, you are an apostle, and yes, this is your task, to take the message, what they call the uncircumcised, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, of whatever religion throughout the whole world, as Jesus had commanded in the Great Commission, Paul was to go to, the, to those. Because remember, Peter even though he was the one that first took the gospel to the Gentiles, and we see that in the book of Acts when he takes the gospel to Cornelius, again through a direct revelation of God, who says, go, take them the gospel. And he came back to Jerusalem and said, hey, God has not left out the Gentiles. The gospel message is for them as well. But Peter was still sent only to the Jews while Paul was 
commissioned, let us say, to go to the Gentiles. Now, verse 8 is probably the, the most important message in all these verses, the most important verse. Because, and, and most uh, versions will leave out for God. But here in the NIV, we see for God, who was at work in Peter, who was also at work in me, for God. It is always God through the work of Jesus on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit who is doing the work no matter what the work is. No matter if we are out preaching the gospel, no matter if we are out helping the poor, no matter what we are doing to bring God the glory, it is always through God. He is the one at work in Paul. He is the one at work in Peter. He is the one at work in all of us. And Paul wants his readers in Galatia to understand, and the, church in, the churches in Galatia to understand that it is God who does the work. It is God who gets the glory. And then Paul goes on, again, confirming this gospel, preserving it, by saying not only did they not add anything, they confirmed the message itself, but then they gave us the right hand of fellowship, right? We can understand that we shake hands with the right hand, contracts are signed and sealed. Back in the old days and even sometimes today, minor contracts with the shake of a hand. And this right hand shake was of fellowship, meaning you are true brothers in Christ with us. We are all on the same page with the same gospel, taking it out in obedience with the Great Commission. It is a gospel that was presented. It is a gospel that is preserved. And it is unity that is accomplished by the offering of the right hand of fellowship. And we close it off in verse 10 with... It's interesting again because Paul... Remember, he is communicating with the Galatians. And these three pillars of the church, John, Paul, and Peter, are telling Paul, okay, we heard your gospel message. You're on the, we're on the same page. We have nothing to add. But do remember the poor. And Paul lets us know when he mentions, this is what I've been eager to do all along, what we failed to see and what they failed to see is that's why he was coming back to Jerusalem anyway. He came specifically at this time because of the revelation, because of this problem that had to be resolved to maintain and preserve the gospel, to maintain the unity of the church. But he had been throughout his missionary journey collecting money for the poor in Jerusalem. The poor in Jerusalem at that time, due to um, a famine in the area and political conditions, were plentiful. And he was aware of this problem. And throughout his journey, he had been in collection. So when he came back for this meeting, of course, he brought back these gifts. So he's like, he's telling them, he's like, you didn't even have to tell me that because that's what I was coming to do anyway. And that, at times, is the effect, not at times, always, 
is the effect of the gospel. Because let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going I'm to read it to you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works. Not by the law. Not by your own effort. But when the gospel is adhered to, when the gospel takes in your life, when you recognize who Christ is, when you are born again, and you recognize it's not by my works, not anything I did, not anything I learned, but the fact that Jesus just takes the veil off my eyes, I can read scripture and see the truth, and now I follow him, but it produces good works. They didn't have to tell him, take care of the poor, because that's what Paul was coming to do anyway. And he wasn't doing it to boast. It is the overflow of the Spirit's work that produces the works. Not to boast. It is the fruits of the Spirit. Paul will talk about this much later in Galatians 5.20. The fruits of the Spirit. It's not what we do. It's who we become that shows we walk with Christ and that salvation is evident in our lives. And that produces works. And when I, in the 21st century, we think works and we think jobs and actual physical actions, but a lot of times it's you who you are, who you've become. Love, joy, patience, goodness, kindness. The fruits of the Spirit makes us this new person and that new person goes out. And everything he does brings glory to God with no boasting, with no call to, hey, look at me. It's look at Jesus. Pastor Edwin, the last time we, he was in Galatians before Father's Day, he talked about how we become a trophy and we share our testimony. And you've got to remember that word testimony is a legal term. When you give a testimony in a court setting, it's because you are a witness. And remember that was part of the Great Commission the version in Acts when Jesus is telling his disciples, the apostles, that you will be my witnesses. But when I give a testimony as a witness, it is something that I have seen. It's not something that has happened to me or that has done, been done to me because that makes me a victim. I am a witness. I saw something and I give that testimony. So yes, I do say my life has changed. This is what has changed in my life. But that is only to connect with the person. My witness, my testimony is what I have seen of who Jesus is. That is my testimony. That is what I need to go and share as I present the gospel is what I have seen, who I have seen, that God is by his revelation through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. This is what I go share. This is my testimony. It's not, um, I had a broken marriage and now I have a happy marriage and my kids all came back and I have a lot of money and my life is better because we know that is not always the case. Just look at Paul's story. Beaten, imprisoned, uh, no money, had a lot of money at one time, right? Uh, one of the most misunderstood verses that, that he says, for I, can all, for I can do all things by Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I've seen a UFC fighter claim he lost all this weight to make the weight to fight in a fight because I can do all things through Christ. 
No, what Paul was saying, I can endure all things. I've known what it is to have a lot. I've known what it is to have little. And I can endure any circumstance, any situation, because Christ strengthens me. That is the gospel. That is presenting the gospel. My testimony of who I have seen uh, who I have seen Jesus to be, who I, who I have seen that God is by his revelation. This is what we need to present. A gospel presented. That means a gospel shared. And again, it is not a gospel presented like I need to find out if I have the right gospel. We know we have the right gospel. A gospel preserved, that means nothing is added to this gospel. Jesus only, not Jesus plus. It is a gospel that produces action. It is a gospel that produces a new life. It is a gospel that produces a new person. A gospel that produces good works, even though we know the works don't save. So as always, I like to end with a call to repentance. That is the key. It is not bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hands, repeat this prayer after me, and if you really meant it, you're saved. Nope. It is a call to repentance. Because let me tell you that one of the problems we have in the church today is that we do not take our sin seriously. I heard the conversion story of a pastor in a very large church, a mega church, up in Broward County, near the Everglades. And it saddens me. I take no joy in presenting to you that this pastor's idea of sin, as he presented it in his conversion story, was, I've been forgiven for the silly and foolish mistakes that I've made in the past. Silly and foolish mistakes. That is not sin. We fully know what we are doing when we sin against the holy God. And we don't take it seriously. The call is to repentance. The call is to turn away from that sin that we know we are committing, that has us enslaved. We turn away from it and we face the cross of Jesus Christ. And we face his death and resurrection. And we face the person of Christ and we turn away from that sin that we love because we now love Jesus. We need to get over this idea that it's just silly mistakes. It's just foolish things I've done in the past, youthful wanderings. No, not at all. It is serious. And how do I know it is serious? Because the Bible tells us that the penalty of sin is death. And I'm not talking about the physical death, because that is true from the original sin. We were meant to live forever in on earth, Adam ruined it for us through original sin, which is passed on to all of us. Death is a reality of the original sin. But when we look at how serious sin is, that God would banish us to hell for an eternity to face his wrath because of all our sin, they're not foolish, silly mistakes. They are not foolish. I forgive my kids foolish, silly mistakes, and there are no consequences. But when they do something wrong, serious wrong, they have to pay a consequence. God is the same way. He's explained it clearly. So the call is to repent. 
The call is to turn away from that sin. The call is to see Christ alone, to know Him by His grace alone, through faith alone, so that the gospel is presented, so that the gospel is preserved, and the gospel goes forth to produce good works for God's glory. Let us pray, church. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, for just to be in your presence, to hear from you, to look into your word, to see us for who we really are, and to see you more clearly every day through your word, Lord. We thank you for that. And we just pray, Lord, that you would use these words today to present your gospel to us, to preserve it in our hearts, to produce what you would have us go out and do for you to get the glory. And as always, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we ask these things humbly, that they would be done in our lives. Amen. Amen. And church, we are going to continue in this um, worship, in this posture of worship, with our giving this morning. Obviously, we do not collect here because there's nobody here except me and Antoine. And actually, my sister and my brother-in-law showed up. So on your screen right now, there should be the ways to give online, text, through our website. So join us now as we remember that Jesus loves the cheerful giver and we give for his glory and his praise.
So church, a few announcements uh, before we, I was going to say leave, but before you guys check offline, is uh, to remind you to connect with us. These are the ways it should be appearing on your screen right now. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, there are the addresses. Connect with us and share the message virtually online. RC Kids, remember we're meeting on Facebook and YouTube at 11.30 a.m. this morning with uh, Christy, I believe. And I always love to remind you about the men's Bible study. Men's, it is something you need to be a part of. Now virtually, hopefully sooner than later in person because we need that contact. And so men, please be sure to show up on Thursdays. And now the big exciting news is that we are reopening July 5th at 10.30 a.m. We're reopening July 5th at 10.30 a.m. And now, church, let me tell you something real quick. I am going to encourage you to come to church. I realized this last Sunday. I was preaching down at my other church in Hollywood, and they reopened last week. And we had probably about half the congregation. We're not a big church, uh, 30 people or so. We had about half of the people show up. But I was reminded how important it is to have corporate worship and to be present. I heard a commentator recently talk about how during this uh, quarantine time, churches were closed, but liquor stores were open and weed shops were open and, and, and some other questionable establishments. The government has allowed us to reopen, and I'm going to encourage you to show up in person. Listen, take precautions. We are careful. We are called to be considerate, and we take precautions, but we have to, we, the command to gather is biblical. The command for corporate worship has always been, and we need to adhere to that. I'm going to encourage you. It is just completely different. I, again, it had been a long time, and when I was at church last week during the music um, time, uh, it, it was it just reminded me of how much we need that. It is not the same watching it from your computer screen. So if you can make it, if you have issues, please stay home. If you're even a little sick with sniffles, stay home. But if you're healthy, if you're feeling fine, come in, wear your mask, your gloves, sit apart from everybody, but we need to have that corporate worship. So I'm super excited to be reopening next July 5th at 10.30 a.m. We have changed that starting time. It's 10.30, but don't be late. I know you Cubans, don't be late. And one last, oh, all right, yeah, you guys got me. Happy birthday to me, thank you very much. That's why my sister and my brother-in-law are here. Even though Tere told them not to tell anybody, I told you all, uh, but it is my birthday. Edwin was right, it is a great birthday present to me to have the opportunity to preach today. And it, it has truly been a blessing. So thank you again, Pastor Edwin. Thank you to my congregation. And if you all stand and join hands along, oh no, sorry, you guys are at home. But you know what I mean. In spirit, let's join hands with all our brothers and sisters. And let me dismiss you in a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for all your work and all you do to bring us together as a church to bring unity to your body, the one true church of Jesus Christ. We pray always, God, that you present the gospel through us, preserve the gospel in us, and give us your son in unity. 
And now, may you, God the Father, always have all the power, the glory, and honor. And you, Jesus, Son of God, always have the glory, the power, and the honor. And the Holy Spirit continue to work in our lives and also share in all the God, glory, power, and honor. Amen.